thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 134 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast ever, and it was recorded on Friday, August 26th, and made available for download Tuesday, August 30th, over at Guard Frequency. I'm Jeff. I'm Ostron, and unfortunately, Kin Shadow can't be with us this week, and a lot of our other staff was strapped for time as well. We couldn't find another host, so in desperation, we rooted down the back of the couch, and this is what we managed to find. I'm Tony. And what do we have this week, Tony? Well, this week's Squawk Box, we do what we do best around here, ignore all the important stories, and go for something trivial. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover the release of Star Citizen Alpha 2.5 to the live servers, more news from Gamescom about Patch 2.2 or 1.7, a.k.a. Guardians for Elite Dangerous, Material passes and patch delays in Infinity Battlescape, and details on double hotossing your craft in Descent Underground. Next, we debate if the deep black really does need to be lonely, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any hey, you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. The normal. Cryptor, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. You know, because I was called in here sort of you know, last minute, I thought I'd like to just come back to the Squawk Box chair and kind of, you know, make it make everybody feel at home again, make myself feel at home again. I thought there's a lot of good stories this week. I mean, we've got that new exoplanet that's out, right? I mean, that's huge news. Proxima Centauri B. Our old friend, the F-35, once again, not cutting the mustard, according to congressional investigation. I mean, we could go that direction. But then I thought, you know... This is we're a game podcast, right? And I saw a fantastic chart. And nothing is better for radio than talking about a visual chart. Right, guys? Whatever. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so, so I saw this great chart that compared Elite Dangerous, No Man's Sky, and Star Citizen. And, you know, these are three of the major titles that we've been interested in. And I thought it, it's not really news and it's not really feedback because it wasn't anybody that sent it to us. But I thought, well, this is the segment where we just talk about random crap. So I thought, well, this will work here. So I wanted to kind of go down the chart here and kind of compare the three. Now that No Man's Sky is out, now that Gamescom is over and, and Star Citizen has shown its latest advances and the 2.5 patches out this week. So let's just get the state of play here for the three games that we've sort of been following. They compare the three in these different columns, and about five items down. Development budget. Star Citizen, of course, we update that every week. Over $122 bucks at this point, according to this chart. No Man's Sky, they say, not known but estimated at less than $10 million. And Elite Dangerous, they're pegging it about between 15 and $20 million U.S. dollars. When I first heard the figure originally during the whole release of Elite, it was around that in... British pounds, not in dollars. Okay, all right. Well, probably that would put it somewhere between 35. I mean, that's that's a quarter of what Star Citizen costs to produce, and it's roughly looking three or four times what No Man's Sky people estimate that to produce. Now, have either of you played No Man's Sky? I know Jeff hated it. I know Jeff wasn't even interested at all. I have played and have been playing No Man's Sky. 
Although I'm beginning to hit the plateau where it's starting to pall. Right. 26 hours in. For me, I use the movie theater comparison where I take the amount of money I spent on the game and then compare it to the cost of a movie ticket. And if I have played and enjoyed the game longer than what that amount of money would have bought me in times watching a movie, I consider it to be a not-wasted investment. That's a pretty decent comparison. Uh, Jeff, uh, and you didn't you didn't touch the thing, right? Not a chance. Yeah. Well, uh, it turns out you may have been sort of, you know, uh, once again ahead of your time. Of course, you've been around for all time, so that, that makes sense. But uh, I, I, too, downloaded and, and played No Man's Sky. And I think I hit the plateau a little earlier than you, Ostron, but I hit that plateau. It's a fun game, but I think my Oregon Trail comparison might have been just about right because it gets repetitive. It's like you play the same thing over and over again. But to me, if I look on the the scale of money spent for the complexity and depth of the gameplay, I think there's a pretty strong correlation. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a very strong correlation between the money spent and the types of things that, and, and, the, and the variety of things you can do with it. I like the what it is actually right now category. We have Elite with a mostly single-player space sim. We have Star Citizen as a pre-alpha test with some working parts. But this trippy stoner mining survival, oh, and it has space in it, kind of hits it right on the head. Yeah, i got to agree. I have actually attempted to pick a couple of fights in No Man's Sky, and... You know, there's a learning curve in Elite Dangerous. And there was a bit of a learning curve when Arena Commander first came out. But this one, Space Combat in No Man's Sky, is just not a lot of fun. There's not a lot to it, really. I love the controversies, Ro, and under Star Citizen, it just says, yes, many. (laughs) There's there's a couple like that. Even going farther down, it says, mod support and scene, no. And then uh, player substances of choice. Under Elite Dangerous, it's beer, rum, and cigars. Yes. Underneath No Man's Sky, it says joint and shrooms. Yeah, totally. And Star Citizen says Xanax. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, they, they summed it up very nicely with that line there at the bottom. Uh, that was, I thought that was pretty good. It's a, it's a fun chart. We'll put it in our show notes. Highly recommend that everybody just sort of take a look at it. It's honest, a little tongue-in-cheek, but I think pretty on the nose about the current state of these games are. Uh, now, I think I think the challenge here, we'll go out on the target public, but I think the challenge here is we need to pick the column that identifies us the most. You know, there's three of us here, and there's three of, there's three columns here. So I'm going to read them, and I think we should all say who these, who these characteristics belong to. So here we go. 84ers who are old elite fans. I never played the original Elite, so that can't be me. Now, Jeff? Uh, I, that would be me. Okay, so Jeff gets a check mark there. 80s sci-fi fans. Yes. Okay. Ostron, what about you? I'll go with yes. Okay, I'll probably say yes, too. Second two Star Wars movies, Last Starfighter, and all that kind of stuff. So I think we're all going to check the box on that one. Sim fans. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And truckers. No. No. Also, no. Okay, all right. So it kind of happened. Jeff ticks the most boxes on that one, so maybe Jeff gets to be that one. Okay, underneath, No Man's Sky. Survival fans. No. Jeff says no. Ostron? I'll go with a qualified yes. I will, too, because I found it surprisingly fun to do that for a while, so I'm going to go ahead and check my box there, too. All right, uh, stoners. Jeff? No. Oh, come on. No. No? All right. No. You're up there in Washington, man. It's all. I know. We know it's legal there. You can say it. It's okay. Nope. I, th- I know that. It, All right. And no, I'm not. I, <laughs> no. Okay. Totally legal there, though. All right, Ostron, not legal where you are, so. 
you know. Uh, but also no. Fifth Amendment. All right. And 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 me, I have a law license and a political career to work to look out for. So no. Okay. So we all miss on that one. All right. Sixty, seventy sci-fi fans. Now this, I'd have to say yes on. This is probably the only category I'd say yes on. Okay, Ostra. Also yes. Yeah, me too. I, and now that we see this, I'm kind of going. Yeah, some of those sky boxes in the background do kind of remind me of cheesy Star Trek sets. I'll probably have to check my box there, too. All right, finally, this is a good one. Yes album cover fans. Okay, I, I have to admit that I almost said yes on this. I love the Yes cover albums, but I am not going to stick a check mark in this category. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Come on, you got you my okay. yes. All right, right come on, yes. prog rock. Okay, there it is. All right, you got to admit to it. Okay, all right. Now, Ostron, do you even know who Yes is? Remember that Fifth Amendment thing you were talking about <laughs> earlier? <laughs> all right, all right. So he's he's gonna he's gonna plead the fifth on that one. I'll have to say probably yes on that one too, because you know they're kind of they're they're trippy and far out there. No, all right. Last one, Star Citizen, SF fans, sci-fi fans. Well, yes, I mean, duh. Yeah, we're all, we're all gonna hit that one. Wing Commander fans. Oh, definitely. Okay, Jeff, it says yes. Ostron? Yeah. Okay. I played Wing Commander 3 and 4 and liked them, but I didn't know the guy that did it was Chris Roberts and that kind of stuff, so I might get like a half a check mark here. So, yeah. All right. Uh, cultists. Jeff? No. Ostron? Also no. Okay. Me, I would be sweet to have my own cult. I'm trying to get people to vote for me, which is kind of like that, but I'm not there yet, so I don't think I can – I can't check that for me either. Okay, now this one, let's we got, we're going to have to be honest with ourselves here. PC Master Race Elitists. Absolutely yes. Okay, that would, that, maybe we don't have to. Maybe we're going to be honest no matter what. Okay, Ostron? Um, I probably have to put a check in if I'm honest. And I have, I'm sitting here in front of a four-monitor setup, so I'm probably going to have to also say yes there. So I wasn't keeping real strict track, but we each hit at least three, I think, in each category. So I only hit two in the other in. In yeah, No Man's no. Sky. So that's the difference. Yeah. If you don't get three in the No Man's Sky, you don't like the game. Yep. So Ostron. apparently I should be playing Elite, but I'm not. Because I got... You got three there. Or actually, no, I only got two there. I got three under No Man's Sky and another three under Star Citizen. And I only got two on the Star Citizen. Well, two and a half, because I mean, I like the Wing Commander three and four. But again, this chart is wise. This chart knows things. So that's why it's okay that we're going to turn this into a 12-minute Squawk Box segment. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for August 26, 2016. 1.499 million registered accounts, up about 32,000. 1.039 million ships in the UE fleet, up about 25,000. And 121,053,000 of about 2.133 million. Clearly, Gamescom and the associated sale impressed a few people. The biggest Star Citizen news this week was the release of Alpha 2.5 to the live servers. Though, after Gamescom's presentation, it may seem a bit lackluster by comparison. Two new ships are now flyable, maybe three depending on how one looks at it. The Reliant Core is flyable for all owners. People who ordered a variant or will have the flyable core as an option. The core, for those who don't recall, is the hauler variant of the ship. Advertises having better dogfighting capabilities than a more dedicated cargo transporter. The two or three debate involves the Argo. Two variants of the ship are flyable, the cargo transporter and the personnel transporter. 
If you recall, the Argo is supposed to have detachable pods that allow the ship to assume different roles, but that functionality isn't in the game yet, so they're releasing these as distinct variant ships for now. We'll leave you listeners to decide if that counts as releasing two distinct ships. Also now available is the Grim Hex Pirate Base hiding somewhere in the Yila Asteroid Belt. Apart from just being another landing zone, the base features a weapons dealer specializing in energy weapons, and a clothier who can help your avatar acquire that outlaw look. Grimhex's arrival also means a change to the game mechanics. Outlaw characters will now spawn at Grimhex rather than Port Olisar, and will not have the port available as a quantum travel option. Also making their way into the game with this patch, a new landing system with automatic precision flying and highlighted landing pads goes active. The item system received some back-end updates, and a new size 5 medium to long-range bearing laser cannon available with in-game rental or through VD. Yes, you can get a long-range gun with VD. That joke never gets old. Never gets old. Never does. Never does. Never will. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Is that two ships or three ships? Um, that's two ships. Yeah, two. Okay, because yeah. all of their literature was desperately trying to say three. Again, this is one of these things. Why why do that? Why, why, why bring any attention to it? Why do it? Because what you're highlighting is the fact that, well, we have more planned mechanics in the future, but they're not ready yet. But here's the ships that are being released with incomplete mechanics. Have fun. Yeah. You know, it's like I own a Cutlass Red, but the only thing I can fly is a Cutlass Black. Oh, come on. You, you know, don't, stop, stop stretching, especially with the ships. Yeah. That's already a point of contention. Stop stretching. Right. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Bad. This is me slapping their hand. I'm with you guys. I think it's just two ships. Insisting it's three, I think, is just... You know, as, as Tony is fond of saying, they apparently have decided that it's much easier to score on their own goal than anyone else's, <laughs> so they may as well just keep on with it. Yeah, well, you know, it's you know, nothing succeeds like success, right? So keep going with it, guys. Gamescom, clearly, it was a step in the right direction. It was good to see a lot of that stuff, at least... You know, working quote quote working at least at the demo level. We've been we've seen lots of demos before though. They just need to deliver. So I get we get down to the hype about 3.0 and and how all this item selection and stuff was going to be, you know, the key of this new 3.0 uh, thing. And and the right off when I first noticed uh, the presentation, it didn't work. It was still the use button or the use system. So. I'm not sure why they're even touting this. I mean, other than to keep up a hype for another couple of years to, as they try to bring this game to fruition. I was kind of disappointed by the whole uh, presentation. It's, it's the prettiest damn thing you're ever going to see. I mean, especially after a week of playing No Man's Sky, and then you get you know these, these demo videos from Star Citizen, and it's just, man, it's just gorgeous. And you want it to be, you want it to have, you, know, you want it, you got to have it. You know, it's got to run on my, on my machine and I want to do those things and see those, those pictures and I want it to, but then you kind of, uh, the, the cautionary note, having gone through the elite process, right, where I got elite and it was very disappointing at release and then it got better. Having gone through that process with that, with Star, uh, Star Trek, well, these many years ago, a little disappointing at release, some points of brightness, stick with it, it gets better. You know, I would like to see them get something out that, even if it's not as cool as we all hoped it would be right at release, get something out and usable and stable where the hours you spend in that game mean something. 
you know, I'm starting to build my little empire, my little fortune. I run through some ships. I have a ship collection in my hangar that I earned through in-game credits. Get something solid, get it out, get it released, let people's time in-game start to mean something. Maybe I'm way ahead of the curve here. I was expecting out of out of uh, the three demo to see, you know, a big city, corporate towers, and, you know, a bustling civilization there with you know and and no talk of, of the organization systems and and any of i i you know i would just i, I guess uh this is where tony would say little steps jeff little steps you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um well that that does touch upon what i raised last week though is they're claiming to have the entire stanton system with all of the various planets coming out for 3.0 and that struck me as the most unlikely claim of the bunch just because i mean landing zones for the cig crowd have been it seems like the hardest thing for them to get out because i mean they have arc corp but that's still not linked to the persistent universe server and then they've had a hell of a time getting nix together or Levski, I suppose I should say, because I don't think it's going to be on Nix anymore. And they're supposed to have, I mean, at minimum, you would figure if you're going to throw all five planets in there, each one should have at least one landing zone. And we haven't heard or seen anything about the landing zones on these other planets. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. They can just procedurally generate uh, as many stellar bodies as they wish and just throw them out there. Look, hey, planets. Can't land on them, can't do anything with them, but hey, planets. Yeah, but I suppose that would be like agreeing to play chess with somebody and then hitting them with the four-move checkmate right out of the gate. It's okay, technically you played a game with them, but really? Sure. The one thing out of the presentation I found was cool was was the ship going through to the atmosphere and landing on, and, and you know, going going to the pirate base. That That was, that thrilled me. But that was the only thing that thrilled me, so... I'm not a huge fan of of how either Elite or No Man's Sky handles those transitions. So if Star Citizen can nail that, that'll be good. Elite requires a bit of a suspension of disbelief. No Man's Sky requires a little bit of a suspension of disbelief. It, it's it, it's it, it's it's a tr- it's a tough thing to get right. If Star Citizen can, if Star Citizen can get that right, that'll be something. It's been a crazy busy time at Gamescom for the folks over at Frontier, the studios behind Elite Dangerous. Last week we covered a lot of the revelations coming in Patch 2.2, dubbed Guardians, mainly the new Traveler mechanics, fighter craft, and better representations of different astronomical bodies thanks to science. And as of last Friday, that was everything we knew. Since then, more and more details of 2.2 have been dropping, and there are a lot of quality of life updates that are coming to make a commander's life that much sweeter. First up, star ports. They come in all different shapes and sizes, but right now they're mainly doing the same thing. Aside from some general shininess of the metal, there's not a whole lot that separates one star port from another. This is no longer the case in 2.2. From October, when the patch drops, you'll notice a wider range of character in star ports across the galaxy. Each starport will take in many different input variables, such as the local economy, population size, etc., and the starport will be represented as such. Fly into a system that focuses on agriculture? expect to see a lot of vegetation and vast hydroponic incubators around the place. Maybe you prefer the upper end of the market, the more exclusive hangars that keep out of the riffraff, 
Well, starports dedicated to servicing those who are wealthy beyond reason will find ultra-modern towers soaring out from the ground level, statues lighting artificial lakes, and other equally extravagant decorations. Those of you who like digging in the dirt for your minerals, well, let's say they've got some stuff lined up for you, too. Uh, additionally, the starport services menu is getting a bit of a cleanup to make good services and contacts easier to locate. About damn time. Next up, planetary maps. Right now, when you use your ship's computer to look at a planet, it would zoom in and show a grid for the planet that you were on, and you could roughly ascertain from there. From 2.2 onwards, you'll actually be able to use your computer to zoom all the way into ground level, letting you view all the interesting geographical features from the comfort of your cockpit. Once you've found a place that you like the look of, you'll be able to use the computer to land at those exact locations. Who wants to take bets on how long it takes Google to get a street view on all the planets? On the topic of computer changes, when locking onto a system and engaging your FSD, your ship's computer will now give you some quick information about the system you're jumping into, such as the security level, and if applicable, its relative state. This info is given to you before the countdown timer appears, allowing you to make a quick decision about whether to jump there or not. If you've been scared of returning to a system that you may have caused some trouble in, well, have we got just the person for you. The Sin Broker. No, unfortunately not someone you seek out when you want to experience the morally gray side of the universe. The Sin Broker is a new contact in low-sec systems that let you pay off fines, claim bounties, and hand in combat bonds for any system and jurisdiction, not just the one you're currently in. This will, of course, save you time and a whole lot of hassle, however it will come with a cost. There will be a fixed percentage increase on fines and a corresponding decrease on bounties. Still, if it's a choice between some EC and a 50 system jump, I know where my money's going. This is all good stuff, I hear you cry into your headphones. But what about my immersion? Well, Frontier have taken care of you on that front too, making hyperspace more realistic. Now, the star you're approaching during hyperspace will appear to grow larger as you approach it, increasing your level of immersion, and the visuals in hyperspace have been improved too, making for an overall better experience. A more... It's a more authentic experience, a little more handcrafted. Trust us, we launched one of the research badgers into hyperspace. They've confirmed the new experience. It's very genuine, very realistic, very authentic. Uh, further, as we touched on a little bit last week, in 2.2, neutron stars and white dwarfs now have the potential to generate enormous electromagnetic fields. Uh, this will accelerate out vast amounts of visible radiation in beautiful funneled emission as the star rotates at an extraordinary rate. But be warned, beauty has never been so dangerous, as these emissions put a massive strain on your frameshift drive should you pass through them, uh, though you are able to temporarily boost jump range by harnessing this energy. Oh, don't even think about dropping from supercruise near them. And finally on our 2.2 roundup list, a feature that is sure to make all of our seven listeners extremely happy. Ship storage and module transfer. Yes, that's right. When 2.2 drops, commanders will now be able to move their ships from one starport to another throughout the galaxy. So if you definitely wanted to change into your anaconda, but then you'll realize you miss a key Elite Racers event if you don't get your Eagle. You can now head over to the Starport services and have the ship transported to where you are via the shipyard menu. What's the catch, you ask? I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about that one. That's right, there's a fee. Depending on the ship to be transported and how far away it is will dictate how much you pay. 
that is the most expensive ship and the furthest distance the higher the cost. However, transportation is instantaneous. And if that wasn't enough goodness, you'll also have access to a module storage facilities via the outfitting services. You can store any type of module for free, but port regulations require your ship to be functional at all times. So if you want to store a core module like the power plant, you must pay a mandatory charge that covers the fitting of a basic replacement module. And, much like ships, you can transport modules to any starport outfitter, allowing you to recover modules from any port that has this service. As with ship transfer, there's a fee for module transportation based on distance and module cost. With 2.2, it's never been better to be a commander. God, we sound like an infomercial. <laughs> well, you know, you just put that music in the background and hey, we're done. Yeah, it's good, good you know, there's a lot of good stuff there. There, there is a huge amount of good things there, and I'm thrilled. I, I actually locked on to Elite Dangerous the other day, sat on my ship in the hangar, and then locked out again. <laughs> Can you take off? Uh, no, it was so sad. <laughs> Why didn't you take off? Because uh, I didn't want to risk my ship, you know. What? Uh, are you, you broke? You don't, you don't have enough for the insurance money or whatever? Oh, I know I have enough. I'm, I'm poorly wealthy. You're poorly wealthy. Okay, well, yeah. you know, you have to you have to choose one of the sort of the down market starports then. Yeah, you can't can't go with you know where the the hoity toity people are. Not for you. Not for you, Seth. There's a lot of good. Uh, we've been crying out for module storage for since I mean the beginning. Uh, you know, you get a great power plant or a great shield, but then you transfer into something smaller, and the the size isn't right. So you got to sell your awesome shield, uh, and then downgrade. I mean, yeah, this is this is great. Fantastic. This is fantastic. I agree with you. I, I think it's a fantastic move. Some of the stuff we expected from the very beginning, uh, I'm glad they're getting to it. I guess it's a separate way of, uh, you know, development. I do like the fact they're introducing more sinks, too, you know, more sort of maintenance sinks. Elite is rife with them anyway, but this is stuff that people will be more than happy to pay. You know, they just it, it, this there's a clear time value of earning the credits versus time value of doing some sort of gameplay that doesn't pay off you know flying 12 or 15 jumps away to swap ships forget yeah that's that's a big one for me especially when you're when when before you guys come online i'm out there doing you know uh star trading and then you come online and you go well let's go do a little bounty hunting while i'm in the wrong ship yeah you got to go fly back to the your base which is 40 jumps away and And then like well we want to go bounty hunting in this system so you're like, damn it! Now I gotta go do, you know, twelve more jumps. And by the time you get to the system, like one guy's like, oh, my wife's calling me. I gotta go by. And then right. the like, oh, I'm tired. I'm falling asleep. My keyboard. Bye. And you're like, damn it! Now you gotta jump back, go twelve systems away, get your mining ship again, go back to the. I mean, it, it's just this is this is much, uh, a, a huge quality of life improvement. And I've always liked the hyperspace jump, but now they're gonna make it better. What? I'm really interested in today's uh, letter. There's aliens, guys. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Right. The, there's going to be like a, a scavenger hunt or something starting like two days prior to when we drop this podcast. So there, if you if you got if you're not getting the elite dangerous uh, email update or not visiting their website to get the uh, the the daily or sorry the weekly uh, update, really ought to check that out. We'll put links in the show notes for you to get in on the the, the big galactic mystery. Which I'm not saying it's aliens but it's aliens. News from Descent Studios is nowhere near as exciting as their game this week because they're in the middle of a quality of life pass designed to smooth out the game performance and graphical appearance. 
Apart from the pretty passes, developers are making progress on the training missions. At this point, there is some debate as to whether it will be released all at once or if it will be coming out in four to five separate parts. Also, Pixley is working on putting dual joystick support into the game. A first pass at the system was shown off in the most recent Wingman's Hangar. So if you like double fisting your flight controls, head over and check out the demo. I'm going to have to watch that. It's fascinating to me, but, you know, I have to say, I, I before space sims were involved, I was a big flight sim simulator. So aerodynamic flight with a throttle in one hand and a stick in the other is what I'm more commonly familiar with. I don't know right. that I could get used to a double stick setup, but the concept is still fascinating to me as as we get into these zero friction, zero yeah. gravity uh, kind of situations and we have all this uh, degree of freedom. I'm, I'm not familiar with the setup. How does that work with the throttle? Because I, I would assume with two joysticks, you're sort of steering it like a, um, a well, high-end yeah. riding mower. Well, yeah, with it, and what's great about it, theoretically, uh, you know, reflexively and, and motor coordination-wise, it's maybe not so great, but it's a six degree of freedom game. So on a regular joystick, you have three axes, right? You've got uh, the, the Y axis backward, uh, you know, left and right, the X axis forward and backward. You also have the Z axis, the rotation of the stick. You can usually twist it. Well, then you go over to your left hand or your off hand, and you've got the same three axes. So you can map each axis to one degree of freedom, up, down, left, right, forward, backward, but also accelerate, decelerate, pitch, and yaw. So I mean, it, it's 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 it, you can put the strafe on on the one, and then the uh, the, the you know the translational component rotation. of strafe plus the rotational component of yaw. So you can you know map all your translational stuff to one stick and all your rotational stuff to the other stick. Okay, yeah, I get it now. So with my for example with my with my hotas, I basically have that, except I have thumb sticks that have that right. uh, that take up those uh, axes. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. So, and essentially, it's the same concept. It's just getting your muscles, muscle memory to uh, work in that frame of thought. But I hear it's a joy uh, to joy. <laughs> well, the the, theoretically, you'd have more precision control with two full sticks involved because the, I mean, the thumb controls are adequate in most situations, but they don't provide the granularity or precision you'd get with a another whole joystick dedicated to the well i uh, i must use. admit with good hull sensor joysticks and i'm not talking just about the hodas and and whatnot but you have that precision but think of this with a joystick you know you're doing your pitch and, and your yaw that's constantly moving you're constantly controlling the directional flight of that now the other on the other hand with my throttle unless i'm in real real combat i'm not constantly adjusting that like I would with a joystick. So the throttle part of that works for me. When I'm doing, you know, strafing and and up and down movements, if I'm, uh, I think it's the Z-axis stuff, I'm not constantly doing that. So I, I wonder if a second joystick is that valuable to me. It's going to be a complete and total retraining of your muscle memory, especially for guys like me and Jeff who have been doing space sims 20 plus years it looks super cool and i think i'd want to do it but whether or not i actually put in the time and effort to retrain myself i don't i don't know the fine folks over at inove studios were hoping to release another patch for infinity battlescape this week but unfortunately staff vacations and a new pc for flavian meant that uh, that didn't happen 
Flavian's now back in the office. His new PC is all set up, so, uh, and we know we seem to say this every week, but uh, hopefully by the time you hear this show, you should have the latest patch. And we'll be sure to tell you next week why it is you don't have it yet. In other news, the NPC haulers have been sent through the pipeline and have had a texturing pass done. There's still some polishing left to do, but at the moment, even as they stand, they're looking pretty sweet. Screenshots will be in the show notes. Finally, I know they have implemented their pledge upgrade system, which allows you to, well, upgrade your pledges. It also means that they're going to be accepting new pledges by their website, allowing new players to buy into the game rather than going through Indiegogo. Right now, they accept credit card and Bitcoin with PayPal coming soon. So if you're curious about this neat little space sim, be sure to check them out over at iNovaStudio.com. Links will be in the show notes. I may have to pony up on this one. I didn't do the Kickstarter for them. It looks awesome. It's another one of those that, you know, you look at the visuals and it's sort of, I must have this. Yeah, I I did the $5 pledge on this, I think, just to get into the door and, and still watching this with interest. I haven't really been following it at all beyond what we've been covering here. No. Well, it's it's another one of those things that it's a small team. It doesn't have the hype train No Man's Sky has. It, they're not going to get swayed by the uh, allure of a console, I don't think. I hope not. Uh, they seem to be a lot closer to a playable, maybe even releasable product than No Man's Sky you know, was in, say, 2012. Uh, or, two, I'm sorry, 2014. So I, I think this... I feel safer jumping in now. Let's just put it that way. Now that they've we've seen them go through some iterations, we see them having you know even some trouble with patches and stuff like that. That's to be expected. But I think that uh, it's it's coming together really nicely. I might have to look into it some more. But now it's time for news we didn't use. CIG has posted Q&A's Part 1 and 2 of the new Terrapin Explorer. Check them out to find answers to the most pressing questions. Yeah, it was, it was kind of an all-or-nothing week from the Space Sims. Either they had substantial updates or they were complete radio silence. Well, you know, it's a... It's a it, digestion week i suppose are people going on vacation getting new computers or aliens i'm not saying it's aliens but it's aliens one of the selling points of no man's sky was always the size of its universe when they released the number of planets in the game people had to look up what the number actually translated to in digits and most recently elite dangerous staff have come out and stated that less than one percent of the game universe has been explored by players the question is why bother Is an in-game universe that literally cannot be explored in its entirety a good thing to have? On the one hand, it guarantees that the explorers of the verse will never have to quit their chosen profession, but can the procedural technology provide the experience everyone wants, or will it reduce the quality of the actual gameplay? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us extreme in-game universe sizes. Jeff gets really nervous driving more than an hour away from his house, while Tony gets violently angry when he sees dead end signs. So, Tony, why are extremely large universes a benefit to the game? Ostron, extremely large universes benefit a game because it literally means there's no stopping the game. The developers can insert uh, new challenges, obstacles, enemies, 
uh, environments in these unexplored systems, there's always something new for players to do. Okay, and Jeff, your response to that? Tony, you ignorant slut. There it is. As you can tell, having an extremely large universe with no means to traverse it is extremely boring for a lot of players. To go from one end to the other that takes days of travel, you lose game unto yourself. You lose your friends behind, you lose gameplay behind, and there are no challenges. You're just driving through space. And Tony, your response to that? Jeff, your point's well taken, but there are some people who prefer that kind of gameplay. as a solo experience. There's no one to grief. There's no one to uh, get into combat with. Some gamers just like to go out and tally. They just want to ramp up their exploration score. They want to find another planet, find another star system. And that infinite large-scale universe means that the developers always have a playground to mold if they want to later. And Jeff, your final response. I understand the, the concept of uh, being the first to be somewhere. That works in real life, but it really in gameplay, it, it, I think it's more of a limitation than it is a enhancement. I think that uh, by taking yourself out of the gameplay, you're actually just, why not buy a single player game and explore the universe? Because really the score means nothing but to yourself. I think having decent sized universes is a good thing, but the the whole like quintillions of systems thing, I don't see a lot of benefit to. I mean, it just sort of loses the point to me. Like if you want people to interact, giving them a universe that's that large, either they're never going to run into each other or everyone's going to stay in this small little corner of it, at which point the rest of the universe becomes a needless add-on. So what about you guys? Did you actually, like, were you on your own sides? Well, I think the big elephant in the room that, that we've kind of avoided in all of our space sim discussions is EVE. At least in my mind, they've proven to me that extremely, and I'm not talking about good-sized universes or large universes. I'm talking about the extreme large universes. They take people away from what really is going on, I think, in the game. I mean, EVE had, what, couple of million players and yes they spread out amongst the universe but there were still vasts of places that weren't explored yet but there was nothing there i mean if there was content and there was a way to travel beyond the days it took to get back to the core worlds or you know wherever the main major gameplay is then yeah i, I can see the exploration and and travel uh and the the idea of seeing something totally new but if you get the same painted scene over and over again you know it's just i don't don't see the point i think we wound up uh, kind of where we wanted to be and my larger point was that you take elite dangerous right now there's nothing to do except fly out take some screenshots scan the planets and and uh, then go, go go back to the bubble to turn in your um your scan results right you get some credits for it you get your elite uh explorer rank to go up uh, and again, you know, screenshots, maybe some fame or fortune if you find something cool uh, as far as uh, during your exploration, you can take a picture of it. But Or with the, the Thargoid stuff that they got going on now with the, uh, with the artifacts. But they can always add stuff in later. You know, if you could, if part of the gameplay was you found a colony 
out there. And that colony then would then build a spaceport and you would get, you know, big discounts because you were one of the founding colonials. Or you have to haul stuff out there to make the spaceport. Or you have to mine the raw materials for them to build their buildings. I mean, that's the sort of thing that you can do if you have a sort of an infinite universe. Every different player can go off to their own corner and, and build a civilization. If you start with the framework of a huge universe, you can always fill it in later if your game survives. But that's to Jeff's point, is that if it's not, if you don't have a coherent gameplay system that gives you something to do out there, and a community that's cohesive enough for people to show up week in and week out to play the game, then your game won't last long enough to fill that in. Yeah, I think having gameplay to go with your huge universe is definitely a huge key. This may seem like a tangent, but it does have a cohesive point to it. Did either of you ever read the uh, Gateway series by Frederick Pohl? Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe. Which one was it? Uh, I've read Pohl before. It centers around the, the Heechee. Oh, that sounded really familiar, but it might have been decades ago. Okay, well, anyway, one of the main points of that universe is that space exploration is sort of like in the 15th, you know, 14th, 15th centuries. You would find a sponsor. They would sponsor a ship and a crew to go on an exploration and then you signed on hoping that it would go well and you know if it went well you could get rich if not you could end up you know poor dead or whatever but i think if the gameplay exploration is like that where you can go out to these distant systems and actually have something more exciting than just taking pictures and you know scanning and then coming back and just turning in your data, that would be a huge reason to have a galaxy that was that large. Now, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, massive excitement every time you go out, but right now, like, for example, in The Poor Whipping Boy, we keep going back to No Man's Sky. You know, at this point, I'm starting to reach the state where I'm going to a bunch of different planets and moons in succession and I'm not really finding a whole lot of difference in the landscape or activity on them. It's just basically oh, this one happens to be hotter than the last one I was on, but if I took a screenshot of one and lined it up next to the other, it would be difficult to determine which one I was on. Yeah, you can you can see the common seed of the procedural generation pretty much everywhere you go. And part of that's gameplay, though, right? I mean, they want the blue plants to signal to you that, hey, that gives a certain kind of metal. The red plants give a different kind of metal. I mean, part of that's by design. Yeah, but I think the procedural generation either has to get more sophisticated so it can start incorporating encounters and different gameplay elements, or there has to be sort of a separate system running that pulls from a variety of encounter scenarios and sort of melds with it so you know one system is generating the planets the flora the fauna the geological systems and then the other one is sort of a random number generator of oh you went to this system congratulations it's in the middle of a supernova and you have 30 seconds to get out of your fry yeah well, one thing we did talk about on our uh, our internal headquarters chat channel was that one thing that I thought was a little lacking was a, a it wasn't exactly content. Well, maybe it is content, but the narrative, it, that's content. It is content. The narrative yeah. could have been and probably should have been 
a lot stronger from the get-go. I mean, I know the concept is no man's sky, no man's land. They throw you out there and it's a sandbox and just do your own thing. I think it would have benefited from a little bit more of a here is your purpose in this world nudge in the beginning. Yeah. Because it would have given people a clear idea of not only what the game was about, but also the variety of things you can do in the game. And even if it's not a wide variety, hey, at least you'd figure that out in the first couple hours. You're 20, 30 hours into it, and you're like, no, this this, this really is it. I mean, really, this is yeah. all there really is. And it was fun. Yeah, but there's, there's not enough variety to just sort of make it last on its own merit, and there's not enough of a story to provide a hook right. for a narrative journey. Right. And, you know, and, and, and if we had, like an Elite, uh, and using our example on Elite, if you had a vast colonial expansion, something like that, and then you had some sort of gameplay that you had to bring those colonists out there, or, you know, the aliens are coming. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. And they're all going to come and invade, and so we have to have a, a diaspora, you know, right? We've got to get out of our core systems and get out into the, the universe and spread ourselves out you know, running away from that Battlestar Galactica type of uh, scenario. You know, that's the sort of narrative thing that can drive use and uh, repetitive participation in certain types of gameplay. And No Man's Sky could have benefited from doing more of that up front. Well, I, I agree with you, Tony. I think I think if we had something like um, taking a, a, a group call, I think that's an excellent idea. Love the game we're building. You know, you, you think of Battlestar Galactica or, you know, the the, the ragtag fleet that is looking for a home and, and uh, you're an escort or, or, a, or a navigator for them or whatever. I See, that, that would be fun. That would make me want to go explore the universe. You know, because uh, think about it, you could you could spawn in on that, and you and your friends could go out. Yeah, that, I love the game that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, someone's gonna drop a million dollars in our lap one of these days. And gonna, I know. Well, <laughs> you guys got like 150 episodes, and you. Well, why don't you guys build a game? Because man, just take this million bucks and go. Yeah. If anybody's listening out there with a million bucks, nothing better to do. We're available for hire. That's right. We'll build you quite the game. We have a Patreon. We have a Patreon. That's right. We've already got the channel all set up. Just just drop that sucker in there. We're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll work out the details. Well, now you know our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, are extremely large universes a good way to ensure unique player experiences and exploration options? Or will it just make sure the deep black is really pretty lonely? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he had a Frodo cosplay debacle and now only has nine toenails, and that he eats elevensies for dinner. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Are trade shows still necessary so developers can get guaranteed money and funding to produce games, or is crowdfunding making trade show shopping obsolete? Sean Newboy wrote in and said, Wonderful show, everyone. Great job. Trade shows help not only with finances, but also with distribution, which can be just as important, since distributors also help with promotion. Druid says, There's one angle on trade shows you appear to have overlooked, credibility. Whether warranted or not, being at a big trade show can add a degree of credibility that a purely online presence cannot. Seeing someone face-to-face, even with a degree of removal, can make something feel more real. Moreover, an additional vector of communication can reach those you may not have before. 
I've been a backer since this game's official announcement, and I still run across people that are just hearing about it for the first time. So, continuing to get the word out through multiple streams is a worthwhile endeavor. Finally, there's the public show of progress in Star Citizen's case in particular that will renew confidence in CIG. H. Allen says that the trade show was made obsolete with the public introduction of the internet. It is no longer necessary to travel anywhere to see the fare that marketing would bring to the trade show venue. With internet access, we can interact with demos, development, and community forums. Crowdfunding, again, because of internet access, has allowed developers direct access to the end user's purse. With content pre-sales, stretch goals, and expansion DLCs, the developer can milk that cash cow forever. So, Tony, obviously you didn't get to weigh in on the original. Do you have any particular thoughts I, on this I do, subject? as a matter of fact. I have, I think... I am shocked. Yeah, I know, I, I know. Genuinely yeah, shocked. I know. Yeah, sit back, you know, hang on to your uh, your hats here, kids. Buckle your seatbelts, because uh, here it comes. Actually, one of the reasons that uh, we, the timing that we used as we did to uh, introduce the new host is because Priority One Productions has an annual presence at the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. We go there every year. The production company goes there every year because of our Priority One podcast. So as management, I went out there, and it is vital, I think, for any sort of entertainment company, whether you're a podcast or if you're a game company, to actually make face-to-face contacts with other people in your space, your competitors, customers, uh, your suppliers, maybe even potential employees or employers, because those personal connections give you, as, as Drew had pointed out, a lot of credibility. You know, you, you've taken the extra time and effort to actually physically arrive at this place. Uh, you interact in a in both professional and less than professional <coughs> capacities late at night with adult beverages. All those things help create those personal connections that you just can't get through the Internet. And like I've been doing it for a number of years now. I think our little company that we have has grown because of it. I know that for a fact because people will call us and, and will respond to our emails because they remember us from the trade show. So I, I have to say that as far as marketing, it's kind of irreplaceable. So I do not begrudge Frontier, CIG, anybody ponying up for a booth at one of these trade shows because you do make those irreplaceable human connections that make your company more credible. All right. In general feedback, Schmunkle98 says, I love this show, but I swear I just heard on this episode that only one of the hosts had watched the Star Citizen Gamescom 3.0 stream despite recording this Friday night. I just find that unbelievable as this was the best thing to happen to the game in a very long time. Well, Mr. Schmunkle, we have to say that unfortunately the Patreon contributions do not allow us to suspend the rest of our lives in order to stay <laughs> up to date on the Star Citizen news. However, uh, if you would like to con- increase your contribution, absolutely. it's possible absolutely. that all of the hosts <laughs> will have been able to watch the stream next time around. Uh, I myself am simply appalled, sirs. <laughs> appalled, I say, that, oh my gracious... I, who just recently stepped down from hosting because of time pressures, I just am appalled at this <laughs> at this development. Yeah, Th- thank you, Schmuckle, for your for your input. You are, you're you're correct. We all should be paying attention to these things. Time pressures, however, trump all. Real life must come first. And honestly, as we were just talking about marketing, the live streams are an event meant to gather eyeballs to put on a show and. 
we've been doing this rodeo several times, and we, I think, can all admit that the show does not always exactly start on time, and from a time to time, on occasion and to occasion, there are have, have been, in the past, let's say, some technical um, challenges that those live streams have indeed, you know, had to surmount. And so I have to say that maybe sometimes getting the after-action review or looking at it on YouTube after it's been edited a little bit might actually be more efficient. But we've all seen it now. I watched it. Jeff, do you watch it? Yeah, I caught up with my earliest convenience. Right. (laughs) And Ken from Chicago says, By the way, favorite quote from Star Citizen Alpha 3.0 demo, hashtag capable people who don't rattle. (laughs) This is crucial. Capable people who don't rattle. And our new Patreon this week is Christopher Trone. And the winner of a brand new patch are Christopher Trone. Crazy happenstance? Back today and find out. Speaking of making connections at conventions, hi, Chris Trone. Pretty sure I ran into you for about two seconds in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. Hi. And then he backs on Patreon. Crazy random happenstance? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And this week's community question, are extremely large universes a good way to ensure unique players' experiences and exploration options? Or will it just make sure the deep black is pretty lonely? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Comfortable, cozy, and with the right amount of human interaction? Or more like a big, gaping void of eternal darkness? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 134 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 135 on September 6th. So be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feed.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. We used to tell you the time in GMT, but since the Brit left, we really can't be bothered anymore. It's about 4 a.m., sort of, more or less. Kinda. Ish. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our patrons who support us week on week, and hope you consider making a regular contribution yourself. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Our thanks to our community manager, Justin Shiverbean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, and our staff writers, Jace Pintad and Kinshadow, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. 
A big shout out to our syndication partner in the base and our special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our shows. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Tony, I assumed you would do oh, this. Oh, am one. I? Okay. Well, I'm, the, I'm the replacement. Sure. I'm the film guy. Who's been doing it? Yeah, but we haven't actually, like, officially nominated somebody to do this part on the regular, oh, okay. so... All right. Well, here we go. You may as well take it. Okay. Beep, beep. You know, the I, one again, thing I did... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Jeff. You take it. Go ahead, Tony. No, I insist. I insist. You go right ahead. Uh, okay. Well, it's been... Tony. Yeah, okay, here we go. Beep, beep. You're supposed to say, go, Tony. Or Jeff, should probably, Jeff should probably say it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Each starport will take as many different input variables as such as the local economy. I don't think I said that right. Each starport will take in many different variable inputs. Input variables. How about that? Third time's charm. Here we go. News from Descentent Studios is nowhere near as exciting as the game this week because of their. Oh, we got to do that over again. No one's going to get the joke. <laughs> what? You got to do that over again. No one's going to know why you're laughing. I know. News from Descent Studio. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> all right, all right. It was a typo. I'm sorry. I think that in the end that... Time, time, time. Sorry. Don't apologize. Cut his ass off. Shut yeah. up, Jeff. Call yeah. me ignorant slut. <laughs> for 50th time. Welcome, well, thought... <laughs> welcome home, Tony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me a second. Go Ostrom. Go Ostrom. Hush you, I'm the producer now, I go with my <laughs> So, how was the show? Comfortable, cozy, and with the right amount of human interaction, or more like a git? I'm really done now. Yeah, okay. I'll believe that when I actually get silence. <laughs>